This is Larie Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. guest on air because he is someone who I think we would all agree has his finger on the pulse of what is happening. And over the course of a journalistic career that has seen him interview multiple U.S. presidents, top athletes and entertainers, Roland Martin is a journalist who has always maintained a clear sense of his calling, which is one of the reasons we wanted to have him on this show today. He's the host and managing editor of Roland Martin Unfiltered, the first daily online show in history that's focused on news and analysis of politics, entertainment, sports and culture from an explicitly African-American perspective First in history, the first daily on my show. I just, I got to say that because I want us to be clear about the challenges that we're dealing with. Mr. Martin, it is a pleasure to have you on the Larry Daniel Favor Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Now what's going on? Well, sir, you know, I've been watching your show, uh, as many of us do, and you have, uh, because of the breadth of your experience, I, I feel like you bring to bear some insight into some of the challenges that Black-owned media, and I say Black-owned intentionally, not the same as Black-facing or Black-targeted, but media that is actually owned uh, by Black people. And for those who don't know some of these challenges, could you just give us a bird's-eye view of the current state of affairs in Black-owned media? Well, first off, you last Tuesday, um, I did a whole two-hour special specifically on the future of black-owned media. Mm -hmm. 194 years ago, the first black newspaper was founded, Freedom's Journal. And in the lead editorial, they wrote, we wish to plead our own cause too long have others spoken for us. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the history of black-owned media, whether it was Frederick Douglass' The North Star, Adam Wells Barnett and her lynching writings, Robert Abbott, founder of the Chicago Defender, the Pittsburgh Courier. Uh, we can go to Land, the Land Daily World and John S. Johnson and Ebony and Jet, on and on and on. It was black-owned media that served as the liberating voice for black people. Mm. Uh, it was black sports writers who broke down the segregation in Major League Baseball, in the NFL, in the NBA. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. And then what you saw, of course, with the, with integration, you saw the disintegration mm. of black media. Uh, Gerald, uh, Gerald Horn has a phenomenal book on Claude Barnett, Associated Negro Press. And there's this great subhead, Louis, that says, and the Jim Crow paradox. Ooh. And what he writes is that at each time black media was successful in championing uh, putting a chink in the armor of Jim Crow. They were actually putting a nail in their own coffin because when we then began to integrate, mm -hmm. we then lost a significant number of our businesses, which included Black-owned media. Mm. And so Black people were so, it was, we were, oh my God, we're seeing us on local television. We're seeing us in network television. We're seeing Black columnists in daily newspapers, we're seeing black bylines, but what that did was that then took talent, that took uh, issues away. And so what you have seen is black-owned media constantly trying to fight. Now, from an advertising standpoint, uh, you know, Johnny Johnson was going, you know, company to company. And then you saw black enterprise come in the early 70s, Essence come in the early 70s. 
you really saw Essence create the black luxury market. So hmm. you didn't even have these main companies even advertising to black media in the 70s and 80s. Black media uh, subsisted really on tobacco ads. Wow. And so, and so you didn't have the BMWs and the Mercedes and all of these companies. Black folks were buying these vehicles, but you didn't see them advertising. Mm. And so we've never gotten our fair share. And so now what you're dealing with is, now what you're dealing with is, now, and I posted this on my Instagram and social media, and I've said this consistently, Everybody, from, from the beginning of America, people have been, been able, white folks have been able to monetize blackness, except black people. Mm. So you have black targeted. So you have, now what you're dealing with is, you're dealing with, oh, if we want to reach black people digitally, let's go to Complex. Hmm. Well, that's uh, Verizon Media Ventures. Oh, we, we can go to Bounce. That's Scripps. We can go to BT. That's by hmm. from CBS. Yeah. See, all of a sudden, so, and so what is happening is, um, and then people say, well, and, and see, this is the game they play. Well, it, it, we, we, would, we would buy you, but... But you need, but but what are your metrics? What are your com score? What are your Nielsen metrics? Well, first of all, that's their metrics. Mm. See, so they they create a system that. Uh, so the reason you can't build capacity is because you can't get the dollars, and you can't get the dollars is because of how they have defined the metrics. When when the census, when the census, Black Caucus fought. Uh, all to get make sure extra money was put in the budget. That's right. To target black media. That's right. Well, Young and Rubicam gets the deal. Congressman Stephen Horsford came on my show, and the YNR said, "We will not buy any ads of any newspaper with a circulation of fifty thousand or less." Lori, that's ninety-eight wow. percent of black newspapers. So I got I want to pause right here because and I know for a number of people, your minds have just been blown because a lot of us don't even have we, we don't aren't aware as to the length of time we've been talking about concerns with black media. When you mentioned at the, the height of integration or the start of integration, when we were almost I'm going to say thrilled to see ourselves in spaces we had not previously been. When we we're moving out of our communities into these integrated spaces, we could still bring our subscription with us. No, we, we could still bring our commitment to supporting black media with us. Was there something that shifted within the, the black consumer class that led to us no longer supporting these outlets the way that we had prior to integration? Yeah, because what happened was we then started compete. Well, you know, you, 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 you don't look like them. Well, hell, mm. I don't look like them because I don't have their resources. See, let me take this thing back. And this has not, This is no slight on Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. So let me just be real clear. I hear you. There was the Negro Leagues and the Major Leagues. Mm. Oh, the Majors. If we can get to the Majors. If we can get to the Majors. The Major Leagues. No. The Major League talent was in the Negro Leagues. Mm. They simply did not have the white major league money to have the better stadiums, the better uniforms, the better travel, the better food, the better lighting in the stadium. Mm -hmm. Dizzy Dean, 
white baseball player played against Major League Baseball players uh, during the uh, during the winter uh, barnstorm. He said the better talent in the Negro Leagues. So for somebody listening, let me repeat that because y'all missed that. <laughs> the Major League talent was in the Negro League, but they were trying to get to the Major Leagues. Okay, mm. I got to repeat that. Mm. The Major League talent was already in the Negro Leagues. Branch Rickey saw the massive numbers turning out for Negro League games. And we were better in the Negro Leagues than the folks. I mean, when you say the talent, I'm not even just talking about a a side-by-side statistical comparison. When we were playing them boys, we were winning, what is it, two out of three of the games? So it's not just the statistical with the batting average. No, literally the skill sets required to be excellent in the sport were residing in black bodies and in black genius. Right. So they were only the major leagues in name in that they had the resources. They mm. had they were on radio. They were on television. Different. Mm. So with integration, with desegregation, all of a sudden you then begin to see the recruitment of black talent. No different than all the major black talent going to HBCUs yep. and all of a sudden Alabama and USC and Ohio State and Michigan and all of a sudden the major schools. So then it became, oh, so, you know, I would love to go to the HBCU, but, you know, the resources, you know, in Mm. terms of facilities. Well, hell, they don't have it because same with the major leagues and Negro leagues. So what you saw was you saw. So what what needs to happen, you need to have a a constant uh, consciousness of black folks. And I'm going to hold up now. We, we don't we don't mind. We want to see us all over, but we got to make sure that our communication pieces don't die. See, I tell mm. everybody, I don't begrudge. I got no issue. I don't begrudge. I celebrate Robin Roberts and Stephen A. Smith and Joanne Reed uh, and 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 Don and Al Roker. Uh, we need all folks there. But let me be real clear. It's some stuff and. There's not a single person I mentioned who has the freedom that I have to cover black folks the way you want to cover them. Mm. When I went to Georgia, I said, we are going to Georgia for the five weeks of the runoff because we are going to push this every day to get Osop and Warnock in there. Robin couldn't do that. Joy couldn't do that. Stephen A. couldn't do that. Why? Because they have still got to ask somebody else for permission. So black-owned media does not have to ask a white boy, boss, can I? Hmm. Pre- please, pretty please. No. We can decide to cover what we think is valuable and important. If we decide to say, no, we're going to do this, have this five-part series, we ain't asking anybody's permission, Lori. Mm. And that is the value again. What that what did that line say in the in the editorial of the first black newspaper? We wish to, to plead, plead our, our own, own cause. Oof. Too long have others uh spoken for us. Mm. Black owned media centers blackness. We are not a part of the conversation. We are the conversation.
So then how do we get more people who are invested in the media as a career, who are looking to explore options in this space to take a path like the one you've taken? I mean, we've seen you on CNN. I, my husband and I, we were faithful uh, uh, TV one watch. I mean, we were DVR because what you were able to do in a black owned media space, the voices you're able to elevate in a black owned media space. The, and yes, the stories you're able to cover, but really the pipeline of journalistic and black excellence that you're able to channel becomes completely different when you're doing something in a black owned paradigm. How do we get more people to choose that route than the somewhat easier route of going to the majors or than the the more luxurious route, I guess I should say, of of not sitting with the Negro Leagues and going into those major spaces? Well, well, here's the first thing. The, The first thing is there has to be a reprogramming of black America. Mm. In that we have got to stop believing in white validation. Come on now. We got to stop believing in white validation. When I joined CNN, I need everybody to hear me. I was already with TV One. Mm. TV One, Jonathan Rogers, the founding CEO of TV One, paid me for my opinion. I was doing interstitials, 60-second commentaries. Paid me for my opinion before CNN did. Wow. When I joined CNN in 2007, I did not leave TV One. Mm. I don't think a lot of people realize that. I had lunch with John Klein, then president of CNN US. John said, when are you going to Stop doing this TV One stuff and Tom Jordan Morning <laughs> Show. Uh, you got these speeches and all the other stuff. When are you going to do just CNN? I said, when are you going to give me a five-day-a-week show? Mm. I might think about it. Let me just help you all out. They asked me to go to Birmingham, Alabama. They said they, they couldn't find somebody to go to Birmingham to interview Winnie Mandela. Oh, my God. Uh, they couldn't. They, uh, I, they, I mean, like, literally, they couldn't find nobody. They, everybody, people, nobody wanted to go, so they asked me. So I went down. I interviewed Winnie Mandela. I had 20 minutes with him at the church in Birmingham. And I came back, and they said, well, oh, well, we, we watched the interview. Why didn't you ask this, this, this? I said, well, why in the hell y'all the interview? Mm. I said, I asked Winnie what I wanted to ask Winnie. They said, we're not going to run the interview. Wow. I, I went to John Klein. I said, hey. They run an interview, give me the tape. Uh, I'm going to run on my TV One show. He, he, he agreed to it. In 2018, when Winnie Mandela died, I was in Memphis. Hmm. We restreamed my interview with Winnie Mandela. If I did not have my Sunday show on TV One, Black Owned, if I did not own my own streaming platform in 2018, Black Owned, that interview with Winnie Mandela will be sitting on a shelf That's at right. CNN in Atlanta, never to be seen in history. Mm. But I had it on platform. Why am I laying all that out? So what I need people to understand is that what I am trying to do, when we are pushing so hard on this advertising piece, is... In order to be able to compete, you have to be able to pay. Mm. 
And so when we are not able to allow the bill capacity, when we are frozen out of the dollars, when we are given 20 cents on the dollar, then guess what? Folk want to sit here and get paid top dollar. That's what they want to do. And I totally understand that. In Brian, in, 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 in my man, uh, in the book, the, uh, the Billion Dollar Bet, the unauthorized uh, uh, beat Robert Johnson BET, Brett Tully writes, when Viacom bought BET, they discovered that BET, was then black-owned, was getting $1,500 for a 30-second spot. When the exact same ad was getting eight thousand dollars Jesus who so wait let's pause there for just a second because I want sometimes we hear numbers and they just fly through our head for a 30 second interview spot on BET someone some a company commercial spot 30 second commercial spot fifteen hundred dollars one thousand five hundred dollars that BET same commercial that same commercial on an MTV is earning is costing how much getting eight thousand dollars wow so when bt was sold for 3.3 billion dollars oh my god that, that that was the 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 highest acquisition the largest acquisition of a black owned company in history in terms of the multiple 3.3 billion had bet been getting its proper number BT should have been sold for ten billion. Hmm. Which so what so what does that mean to the person who's listening? When you hear there's a tax on blackness, right? That means that we are we when we are black owned are severely undervalued Negro League, right? But all of a sudden, when a Viacom CBS acquires BET, they are able to negotiate not the BET rate, but the Viacom rate. Mm. And that matters because it doesn't just matter in the day-to-day functioning of the entity. As you noted, it matters in the ultimate valuation of the said entity when it's time to sell, when it's time to merge, when it's time to to tap into the equity. (laughs) I want folks to to be aware of what's happening here. We're talking pure dollars and cents. This is a – if you're charging only $1,500 on a black network, a black-facing network – at the same time, you're charging $8,000 for another network. There, there's no, we don't need some sci- psychological interpretation of the, the intent. We don't need to have conversations about, well, is it really racist? We don't need to wring our fingers and rub our hands together to ask those types of questions. We can call a thing a thing. And, and it, when it comes to dollars and cents, when we're talking about the undervaluation of Black-owned entities, not only do we need to say, okay, what role do we as a people play in supporting that undervaluation, but then what are the real world implications for how that valuation or that devaluation is going to have ripple effects throughout the rest of society. One of the things I want us to shift towards is what is it about the way this audience, which is a predominantly black audience, 
predominantly not all, but for people in this audience who are hearing what you're saying and whose hearts are rendered by what the, the numbers and the facts that you're dropping, what is it about our behavior patterns, about what we consume in terms of media that needs to shift in order to do the community part of this work? And then I want to talk about what is happening at the corporate level or at the, the level of ownership to ensure that the pipeline that is behind someone like yourself is sufficiently being built so that our children, the next generation of, of, of media folks, the next generation of, of, of newscasters, journalists, talk show hosts, whatever label you want to put on it, how do we ensure that the next generation does not have these sorts of limitations placed on their choices? Mr. Martin, thank you again for being with us and, and for sticking around a bit. All good. And so I want to ask you now, I'm seeing folks online who are responding to your uh, example of the Negro Leagues, and I think it is an apt one uh, and one that really does, for me at least, set as a metaphor for a whole lot of issues (laughs) that we are facing Mm -hmm. in our community. And I have to ask you, what is it that you are seeing in terms of consumer behavior from black audiences? How are we currently consuming media that is perhaps undermining black owned media? And what do you think we should be shifting to in order to empower? power black owned media and to minimize some of those barriers black people are america's greatest trendsetters Hmm. we are america's greatest tastemakers but what black people are also suffering from is a severe inferiority complex that has been that has been placed in us that has been taught that has been cultivated that has been nurtured, that has been where the, where the soul has been tilled of white supremacy. Mm. We operate from a view that what is black owned is secondary. That's right. This, I, I can't even tell you how many times people, brothers and sisters, brothers. This is what I'm a TV one show. Man, um, uh, uh, we need, I can't wait to get your own show. I said, excuse me? <laughs> I, I said, bro, I'm literally on from 7 to 9 a.m. every day, five days a week. He said, no, 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 no. I know about your TV one show, but I mean a real show. Mm. I said, a real show? He said, I mean like CNN, MSNBC. I said, I said, brother. I said, do you realize that when this was a time when Brian Williams was the main anchor? I said, do you realize that when Brian Williams comes to D.C. to do the NBC Nightly News, he sits in the same chair I sit in? Mm. He says, what do you mean? I said, same set, same camera, same backdrop. I said, because what you don't realize is we contract the studio out from NBC News Channel. Mm. I said, we send our show down the same fiber optic lines that they do. I said, so you are saying my show isn't real when it's literally <laughs> in the same place as NBC News. Wow. I mm. said, but see, you don't consider it real because it's on a black network. Mm. I've had people come up to me after the show got canceled. I, I had a bro- man, I, I, I really wish, I, I really wish, man, you had gone after, you know, that weekend slot on MSNBC. When Joanne Reed got the prime time, I said, why am I going to work weekends? <laughs> I 
said, why am I going to go after a two-day-a-week show when mm. I'm on five days a week, mm. Monday through Friday? So that's what it is. And so look at, look at Clubhouse. Black folks made Clubhouse with a billion-dollar valuation. That's right. Here's my question to black people. Are you signing up for Isaac Hayes' app fan base? Oh. Guess what? They have audio chat rooms just like Clubhouse. It's black-owned. Hmm. What, what ha- that has to, you have to be intentional. Let, let, let me be real clear. L- uh, Laura Coates has a show on Sirius XM, right? Yes, on uh, the POTUS station. Mm-hmm. Ask where was the first place Laura Coates hosted a show? I have a feeling I'm going to guess correctly because I, I think I heard you share this on Where your show. she got to sit in the yes. chair. That's right. That was My with you, yes? That's right. Angela Rock, before CNN, her first TV shot was on my show. You see your deep to well day, now on America's Most Wanted. First one to put her on TV. Hmm. Paul Butler, you see him on MSNBC. But he was on TV once, Washington Watch and News One Now, before MSNBC ever paid him. David Swirley, Paris Denard, Sir Michael Singleton. Uh, when, when you turn on Fox News and see Gianna Caldwell, who put him on TV first? Mm. Why am I saying that? If I did not have a black-owned platform, those black voices would not have gotten a shot. Mm. And then we can think so, about the ripple effect of that because we uh, every I, name that you mentioned, we've all seen we've uh, in various spaces, but that's what I mean about that pipeline that you've been intentional right. about creating because it doesn't right. just happen. Someone has to cultivate it. Yes. So first of all, I had, first of all, the network had to have been created. Uh, John Rogers had to have hired me. I then had to be intentional about it. And so we have to be intentional about what we support. Brother told me, they man, watch me on Facebook. Don't watch me on Facebook. Watch me on YouTube. He was like, why? I said, we generate more revenue without views on YouTube than we do Facebook. Now, mm-hmm. against Facebook, I got a project working with them. The bottom line is their advertising structure does not allow me to maximize my resources. Mm-hmm. We have to then be also intentional in the companies that we support by having, a, by having a view of, okay, so-and-so company, I'm buying your product. Do you support black-owned media? Mm-hmm. Do you buy advertising in black-owned media? Are you directing your agencies to support black-owned media? If you do not, what you are doing, black uh, person, you are spending dollars on a product, and the company is not reinvesting those dollars right back into the community. Now, how do we ask that question in a way that is going to get an answer from someone who is going to raise some eyebrows that the question is being asked? It's one thing to tweet at Coca-Cola. How do we ask that question as a consumer in a way that's going to be effective? We have to use our collective power, meaning we have to use our institutional structures. So, for instance, I have been saying, for oh, yeah, we got you got uh, uh, alphas and kappas and omegas and sigmas and iota and deltas and aka's and beta and sigma gamma rho. You got all the collective power. You got Prince Hall Mason. You got Eastern Star. You got the link. Uh, you got the ladies of distinction. You got the guardsmen. You got uh, you got church women's groups and men's ministries. You've got all of these organizations out here. How are we using our collective power to begin to say to Home Depot, 
two Coca-Cola, mm. uh, say two AT&T, two McDonald's, two Burger King, uh, to all of these companies, to every single car a company as well. You are reaping the financial benefits of African-Americans, and are you supporting black-owned media? Where are you placing your dollars? But also, we got to be thinking much more holistically and broadly. And so when you're talking about streaming services, hey, we're watching Netflix, we're watching Hulu, we're watching Prime Video. Y'all are putting out content for black people, but are you marketing that same content to black people in black-owned spaces? Mm. See, that's being intentional with your dollars. So to your point, when you talk about, I need people to understand numbers pre-COVID, we had 2.6 million black-owned businesses in America. Hmm. 2.5 million had one employee. They were doing an average revenue of $54,000. Let's go back. Wow. When we took so seven years earlier, we had 1.9 million black-owned businesses. They were do, they had 1.8 million had one employee. They were doing an average revenue of $110,000. So we added 700,000 more black-owned businesses, but the revenue got cut in half. COVID mm. knocked out 41% of black-owned businesses. Well, first of all, they were one-employee companies anyway. When I launched Roland Martin Unfiltered on September 4, 2018, I launched with seven employees, meaning the day that I launched, I was in the top 5% of all black-owned businesses wow. in the Wow. Just by sheer First numbers year, of employees. $600,000 in revenue. Second mm. year, $3 million in revenue. We've grown the company and built it, but guess what? I, federal government, spends a billion dollars a year on advertising. Black media gets 10, black owned media gets 10 million out of 1 billion. So, black people listening, you oh must God. be pos- positioning your CBC member, your member of Congress, saying, hey, 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 are y'all making sure black owned media is getting the millions being spent on outreach for COVID? Are y'all making sure that black owned media is getting the contract from the Pentagon, from HHS? from interior, for commerce, the ability to create. We can actually have black-owned media that's of the size of the New York Times and CNN. Mm. We can. But not if we're frozen out of $150 billion that's being spent on advertising every single year, and black media, black-owned media is getting 1%. Of well, the 150 billion. Now that I'm picking my job off the ground, uh, which <laughs> I'm not surprised that because I, I've, I've seen some of these numbers in the past and particularly the conversation that you had about how many black owned businesses are single employee corporations. You have mentioned before and I, I've seen you, you outlined before. And I know we only have a few minutes left, so I, I just want to squeeze this in quickly about the fact that right now, black communities, and these numbers are a little old because this is back from the TV one days, when black communities are spending two cents out of every dollar with a black owned business, if we were to just increase that by eight pennies to a dime out of every dollar that black people are spending with black owned businesses, we could inject enough capital in those businesses so they might be able to employ one other person <laughs> or, or have oh. much more uh, capital expansion uh, as a result of just the sheer investment in capital. That for me when i heard you talk about that a few years ago that i was like well wait a minute that's a jobs creation program that doesn't require government that's a capital raising program that doesn't require federal government it doesn't require a politician to sign off of it It don't require white people to love it bless it like it fund it approve it support it that's on us my fan base 
last year gave 672000 via Cash App, PayPal, Square, Venmo. I get 20 checks and money orders a week. Hmm. So how, how do you think we were able to, hmm. to see? Let me just break this down. When I launched the show, all we could afford was some glass tabletops and some swivel chairs. We couldn't afford a set. We said we ain't going to let that stop us from going on the air. So what did we do? We built it. Hell, last year, February, I mean, we had the money. So what did I do? I said, oh, there, is, there, is there somebody black who builds TV sets? The answer is yes. Boom. Mm. Found him. Paid him $8,000. We need a new lighting. We need a new lighting matrix in the studio. Is there somebody black who owns a lighting company? The answer is yes. We found them, brought them in, and spent uh, 15000 $15,000 on new lighting. Got it. All right, so you know what? So what did I do? With the money that came from black folks supporting the show, and let me also be clear, I got some white fans. Uh, and all of a sudden, guess what? I was able to drive business to a brother who builds sets, drive mm. business to a brother who builds, who does the lighting. When we had our election show, we had a caterer, black-owned caterer, was able to come in. So supporting her in our efforts. And so then when we are traveling and uh, I need the driver for, for the spur that we bought, I uh, guess what? Hired a black driver, flew him in to drive our vehicle around the country. That's how you're able. So with using the show, I am also driving business to African-Americans. We're right now going to be moving into a new location. I found two African-Americans to build out my studio, my control room. I'm being intentional with my dollars. See, that's how it gets done. So this is not just rolling here. Oh, I'm paying myself. No, I was able to. I was able to hire three people at the end mm. of December because of fan support and advertising support. I'm now about to hire a fourth person. Show me how many black-owned businesses in the span of four months will we'll be hiring at least four people at our size. Mm. See, this is this is this is why. And so now. What I'm asking is when people, uh, and then people say, well, uh, well, man, what about black celebrities? No, no, no. I need black people to stop bringing up Oprah and Jay-Z <laughs> and Beyonce. Let me be real clear. I know a whole bunch of celebrities got cell phone numbers. I can count on one hand how many celebrities have sent a $50, $50 donation into Roller Martin and Filter. So it's I'll, the people. And, and, and see, and I'm going to give credit. The song you hear on the show, I got to give a shout to In Vogue because they gifted me that song. Mm. TV One didn't want that song to be the theme song for News One Now. They chose some boring-ass news music from a library. <laughs> uh, but we use it on my show. That came from In Vogue. And In Vogue has donated every single year uh, to our show as well. Ali Sadiq, the comedian. So what people need to understand, when I say my fans have given – I ain't really had no black celebrities sending us money. I ain't had no black millionaires or billionaires send us a dime. The donations, the $1, $2, $5, $10 are building that. Why am I saying that? Because somebody black out there, stop overlooking everyday people. Mm. Because that's how we've gotten everything. The pennies of black people built black colleges the Mr. Martin. of black people built built the chicago defender the mm. pennies of black people invested in ebony and jet 
the pennies of black people have always funded our stuff. And so when somebody say, Roland, I can't afford $50, I say, ain't a problem. I said, you send a dollar, we good. We send five, we good. My first check, my Lord, uh, Larie, came from a a $500 check from a 92-year-old black woman in Long Island, New York, who said, I watch you on TV One. My daughter follows you on Facebook because she plays golf, and she told me about your digital show. Your voice matters to us so much, I've enclosed a $500 check just to make sure your voice is heard. Hmm. See, so I need, so you take that, and then we tell black folks to then begin to uh, use our institutions to let the ad agencies know all of them who control the money, publicists, Mediacom, WPP. See, that's what Byron Allen's lawsuit is about. And mm-hmm. the last point, let me say this here. This can't be about Byron Allen. Yeah. This can't be about yeah. Roland Martin. Yeah. I'm not fighting for black-owned media to get money where I only get paid. No. When I come to the table, I'm saying all of us have to get paid. Mm. Roland Martin, you have dropped some dimes on these airwaves, and I am appreciative for you spending some time with the audience and, and explaining uh, the science of funding in the Black-owned media and what, more importantly, from my vantage point, what it is that every single one of us who just heard this conversation need to be doing to shift our behaviors to support Black-owned media enterprises. I, I got to ask you, I, I hope you, we can get you to come back on air. I've, I've appreciated this conversation immensely. Yeah, I'm no grateful for it. Let's give him a warm round of applause. Roland Martin, you can follow him. Uh, you guys have all, you already know where to follow him. We're going to tweet out all of the locations where he is at Roland S. Martin. Uh, you can follow him at RolandSMartin.com where you can learn more about his platforms and all the amazing work happening there. Very grateful for having you on and appreciate it.